Well, I hope that you all had a nice Thanksgiving and indeed a time of feasting as we celebrate the goodness of our Lord and the bounty of His gifts to us. And uh, of course, even more than the material gifts that He gives, the bounty of His grace, which Paul says in Ephesians, He has lavished upon us. And I love that word lavished uh, because that's indeed what He has done. He is not he is not a skinflint. He has not, he has not trickled out his grace upon us, but indeed he has lavished it upon us. And so I hope that your feasting uh, was appropriate uh, for the celebration of that lavish gift he gives. Today, last week, we took a break from our walk through Daniel to uh, think about the, the, uh, the idea of thanksgiving and praise as we looked at Psalm 145. Today we return to Daniel for this last sermon in this series, and then next week, as we said, believe it or not, it is Advent, and uh, so we will turn our attention now to the coming of our Lord in the Incarnation. But before we get there, we conclude our look at Daniel. And here we come to this last chapter of the end of Daniel, which chapters 10, 11, and 12 have been a distinct section within the book. Uh, Daniel has been getting these last visions of, of what the Lord is going to do for Israel. And these things extend well beyond now the life of Daniel. You remember, if you can think back two weeks ago, we had that very detailed and complicated vision in chapter 11 about all the different kings that would come with very, very precise details uh, that worked out truly in history over, over these 500 years. So, so again, these things extend well beyond <clears throat> Daniel. And here too, in this last section, we have Michael, uh, and we have vision of Michael uh, standing, and we have these words being given to Daniel uh, regarding, how shall we say it? the end. And this phrase, the end, is going to be a phrase that we're going to have to take some time to think about and contemplate uh, because, and there's all signs of questions. We're going to have two sets of questions in this text regarding the end. When will these things take place? Now again, if we could just step back, let's remember the context that we're in most immediately. Let's start with Daniel. Daniel is now reigning during the time of the Persian Empire. The, uh, the Persians have allowed the Jews to go back to uh, Jerusalem, back to Israel, rebuild their city, rebuild their temple. The problem is the whole progress of this thing has stalled. It's not going like Daniel maybe even imagined it would. You would think that maybe everybody was longing to get back to Jerusalem the way that Daniel was longing for it. And so when Cyrus allowed them to go back, you would think that there'd be some excitement they recognize that this time of judgment and exile is over. We can now return with great joy and go back and, and, and be the people that God has called us to be. Let, let's remember that this exile from the beginning was an act of judgment for Israel's disobedience. This isn't just a, an unfortunate circumstance that the Babylonians happened to carry them out into exile, and so let's get back to it. This happened because we were sinful. And, and so we, we've, had to, we've had to you know eat the sour grapes, if you will, but, but now it's time we can go back. The judgment is over. You know, dad said we can come out of our room. It's like, yay, let's, let's go back and do what we, what, what the Lord has called us to do. So let's go back to Jerusalem. But it's not that way. There's not a torrent of people heading back. It's kind of a trickle. And then they get back to Jerusalem and they start fighting over how the temple should be built. And, and the whole thing just kind of stalls out. And there's people who oppose it and don't think it should be done. And, 
and it just doesn't go as Daniel uh, thought it would. And we saw the vision then, that in that in that time of frustration, Daniel, with his own questions, these visions come to him in which he's told, hey, listen, just so you know, the troubles are not over. I know that the 70 years are over, but you know what? It's going to end up being 70 times 7. It's going to be an extended time of trouble. And then we, we, we saw that, that prophecy about the weeks, which are visions of years. And then we saw the vision Daniel got where he was able to like survey the, 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 the long future of this king rising up against that king and doing this damage and doing that. And, and so Daniel knows, okay, we've got to hunker down. This is a long story of suffering. This is a long story, a long trajectory here of trial and tribulation and suffering. And that kind of reorients him. This isn't going to be a quick fix. This isn't going to be, oh, we go back to Jerusalem and everything's nice, nice now. It's going to be a time of great trial. So again, that's the context we're in. And now in chapter 12, Daniel gets a vision of the end. So we, we've seen that long vision of chapter 11, now in chapter 12, the end. And so we get this vision right at the beginning of 12. At that time, Michael shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And you'll remember that in, in chapter 11, we had that head-scratching moment where the, the angel comes to appear to Daniel. We, we wonder if, in fact, it is a pre-incarnate Christ or is it an angel like Michael and who comes. But he says, look, I would have gotten here earlier, except I, I had a battle with the prince of Persia, you know, the, 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 the angel, if you will, who is, who is guarding Persia. I, we, we got into a tussle. And, and I, after I deliver this, I got to get back because I've got to pick up that fight. And it's just, you know, for us reading this, we're like, wait, what? What's going on here? So that image of these angelic figures who stand behind the political turmoil of our age is we get a little glimpse behind the curtain here and we see this prince of Persia, but also here for the people of Israel. At that time, Michael sh shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So we've got, you know, not only do, is there a prince of Persia, but there's a prince of Israel as well, one, one who is guarding them. And, and the principalities and powers are engaging in battle at the same time that we on earth are engaging in battle. And I know that's beyond us. I can't give you all the details of that because I'm not privy to it. But what I do know is that texts like this reveal that, in fact, these things are going on. And it's Paul who lifts our eyes to that and says, hey, don't, don't get lost down here with your eyes down below as if these are the ultimate fights. In fact, there are things going on beyond us. Our true enemies are not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And therefore, make sure you put on the appropriate armor. You need that armor that you're putting on. Okay, but that notwithstanding here, let's continue the vision that he gets. And he says, Michael shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Okay, so here we've just come off chapter 11 where we've seen just, I, I keep thinking, remember, we're surveying the thing and thinking maybe if we get over this hill of trouble, we'll kind of be in paradise. But we get over this hill and we see another hill and another hill and another hill going out through centuries. But Michael, but uh, excuse me, but the vision now comes to Daniel saying, okay, 
the end will come. But before the end comes, there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So that's kind of daunting. So on this, on this story of tribulation, we're heading toward a time of the end, but at the end there will be a greater time of tribulation before we reach the end. Okay, and it's not, no details are given here. Just that there will be a time of tribulation. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt or judgment. We just sang about that. You know, the Lord is going to bring them up from the clay. And uh, when we're brought up from the clay, we will be brought to stand before him for judgment. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Makes me think of Todd's prayer request today that we pray for our, the words that we say in bringing unsaved loved ones to the faith. Well, those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars indeed. Those who have been used to bring others into the kingdom are going to shine uh, like stars forever and ever. Okay, so that's, that is the last vision that Daniel gets. We're going to have tribulation, 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 tribulation. But now in the end, we see there will be a time of great tribulation. But through that great tribulation, the people of God are going to be delivered. There is going to be resurrection, right? That's what we have. The, 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 those who are living uh, will be sifted out. You know, those who are found written in the, in the book of life, in, in the book of, of God. And those who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. And this, of course, is a picture. We see this in Revelation as well, this image of resurrection unto judgment. So the final end of the story is resurrection when the living and the dead shall be brought together before the council of God. And indeed, they will be uh, uh, put into two camps, one unto everlasting life and one into everlasting judgment. Now, this provokes some questions, and we see uh, uh, in verse 4, Daniel is told to shut the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So, we're, so he's told to take this vision. He doesn't understand what we're going to see that. Daniel even confesses this. I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. And Daniel gets this vision, and he's told, roll it up and seal it. And when he asks for some of the details, the Lord's going to say to him, well, Daniel, this is not for you. I've given you this vision, but you're to seal it up. There will be a time in which this is going to be unfurled, and at the time of the unfurling, it will be accomplished, but that's not you. So thank you for receiving it. Thank you for writing it down. Now seal it up and put it away, and then there will be a time in which it will be appropriate to, uh, to bring this about. Now again, hence our exhortation today from Revelation chapter 5, because you're just reading your Bibles and maybe you're paying attention, maybe you're not, and then you come to Revelation 5 and all of a sudden in the right hand of him who sits on the throne is a scroll, sealed. And if we have Old Testament lenses, which, is the, which are the lenses we must have when we read the book of Revelation, any other lenses will get you way out left field very quickly in the book of Revelation. But if you have Old Testament lenses when you read the book, and you see that there's a scroll in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and the scroll is sealed, 
our minds should instantly come back to this story of Daniel. And, and we're, we're to key off of Daniel now and to realize that, okay, what we have here is the fulfillment of the end. And it's, it's in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, but it's sealed. And it's not just sealed. We don't get this detail in Daniel, but in Revelation we do, that it's not just sealed. It's sealed with seven seals. And seven is that number of perfect completeness, right? It's not just sealed. It is perfectly sealed. And no one can unseal it. There is no one who is able to accomplish that end times, if you will, purpose of God, that final plan of God by which the saints are delivered, by which the living and the dead are brought together and enter into eternal glory and shine like stars forever and ever. Who, who can accomplish that? And you'll remember in Revelation chapter 5 that a search goes out for someone who is worthy. And he searches in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth, and lo and behold, there is no one who is able to break the seals and to open the scroll and to fulfill it. And John weeps. He weeps because there's no prospect for the accomplishment of the plan of God. There's no one who is going to be able to bring this to its proper resolution. Who is going to deliver us through this tribulation? And, and there's no one. And John says, I wept much. Until, of course, the elder draws his attention, tells him not to weep, directs his attention to the line of the tribe of Judah, and says he has prevailed. And he is able. He's worthy. There is one who is worthy. Behold, it's the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is able to take the scroll and to open it and to accomplish the purposes of God and hence the beauty of Revelation chapter 5. And then immediately in Revelation chapter 6, he begins breaking the seals. Revelation chapter 6 is the breaking of six seals. The first four seals bring out the four horsemen. The fifth seal reveals the martyrs under the altar, crying out to the Lord, How long, O Lord, holy and righteous, you know, holy and sovereign, until you, until you vindicate us? The sixth seal reveals the, the enemies of the Lord, who cry for the rocks to fall upon them, lest they, you know, give God glory. And the seventh seal, you have to wait for. In chapter six, you get six of the seals, and then there's a delay. In chapter seven, where we get a vision of the gathering of the saints, and it's not till the beginning of chapter eight that you get the seventh seal and the end. Which in the book of Revelation then, cycles us back and we look at the whole story over again now not with seven seals but with seven trumpets and you'll remember from our walk through the book of revelation that revelation has that not cyclical because it's not just repeating the story but in some sense cyclical vision of things in which it tells that story over and over again a few times throughout the book so this scroll is taken up in revelation and by the lord jesus christ it is unsealed and accomplished, which is going to help us, in some sense, get the answers to Daniel's question. Because we might ask, well, when is the end? When is this time? And, and let's see, because Daniel goes this. We're going to have two questions. A, a question is going to come from these angelic beings standing by, and then Daniel's going to have a question about this as well. So Daniel shut this up, and then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood, this is verse 5, 
stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And the one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, this is the one delivering the message to Daniel, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? So, so imagine Daniel's here, and he looks, and, and there by the river, remember Daniel was out at the river Tigris at that time when he got this, if you go back to chapter 10, and there at the river he sees an angel standing on this shore and an angel standing on that shore, and, not, and the one in linen, the one delivering the message, hovering, if you will, above the water. And the one is shouting to the other, and then they're, they're asking the one in the linen, how long until these things are accomplished? Now, again, our New Testament reading today was uh, Revelation chapter 10. And in Revelation 10, we have a, a throwback also to this story, because we're back at the sea, and this time we don't have three figures, an angel on this bank and an angel on that bank and one hovering over the waters. We have one figure who is standing with one leg on the water and one leg on the land, and he is dressed in the radiant linen looking like the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And he is standing on both sea and land, and again, he's got a scroll in his hand. We're told it's a little book, little scroll. And he tells, he tells John to come and take it from him. So it has been opened. It has been, it has, the seals have been broken in chapter five. And now this, this, this scroll that he is accomplishing, he hands to John. And you'll remember, and here now is a tie not to Daniel, but to Ezekiel. He tells John to take the scroll and to eat it. And it's going to taste sweet in your mouth. Right? That the fulfillment of God's purpose is yes, but it's going to turn sour in your stomach. And then he says, now I want you to go. With that in your stomach, understanding the word of God, I want you to go and I want you to prophesy. And that's how chapter 10 ends. But again, it's a, it's a throwback, if you will, to this vision. Now in chapter 11 of Revelation, the story, the story gets rough because in chapter 11, we have a story of the trampling of the temple of God. In chapter 11, we have the story of the two witnesses of God being trampled and thrown out into the street and executed and left to die in the street and, and mocked and not given a proper burial. And the Lord, through John, says, yeah, this is, this is the story you're in for. This is what the end looks like for us as the people of God. And we get it here. There will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Now, in verse 6, these two men on either side of the bank ask the question. Even they're asking questions, which is encouraging. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters, How long shall be the fulfillment how, uh, the, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Like, when is all this going to take place? It's a great question. People have been asking that for generations. So let's see what the answer is. Verse 7. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time and times and half a time when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. 
Okay, so what's going on here? So the one asked the other, hey, to, to the, this one in linen, this Christ-like figure that is hovering above the waters, how long? And to answer this, he raises right hand and left hand to heaven in an oath. All right, so he, he, he looks to the Father and he says, it will be for time, times, and half a time. And this is something that we've looked at in the book of Daniel already, this one and two and half, right? This, this funny way, not funny, like haha, funny, but unusual way of saying three and a half. Something that also comes up in 1290, which is three and a half years. And this image in the book of Revelation, it will be times, times, and half a times. It will be 42 months. It will be 1290 days. It will be three and a half years these four different ways of saying this same time that represents a time of trial. Three and a half in Daniel and in Revelation represents a time of tribulation. It's half of seven. It's the time that Antiochus IV attacked Israel, was about three and a half years. It's about the length of time that the Romans attacked Israel, uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD, and three and a half just becomes a number for the people of God. Let the reader understand, if you will, that three and a half means a period, a season of tribulation. And so, he, did, of course, he does not give, well, it's going to be in the year such and such. He doesn't do that. He just says, you're asking, when will these things be fulfilled? Let me help you out. It will be after three and a half years. So everybody doesn't set their watch then and say, oh, wow, okay, okay, now we know. Three and a half years, though I have no doubt there might have been some. There have always been people who then say, oh, it must be three and a half. And then when it doesn't happen after three and a half, they go, oh, well, three and a half must represent this. So they reset their watch. And then when that doesn't happen, they, well, you see what happens. Every year must be a decade. Okay, let's set it for that. And so, you know, there's people who always do that. But that's to misunderstand apocalyptic literature. He's not giving them an amount of time. He's giving them a description of the time. Do you know when it will happen? It will happen after a period of suffering. It's going to happen after the tribulation. And the tribulation is just this season of trial, this season of suffering. And then he describes it even more when he says, so it'll be time, times, and half a time. And then he says, when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. That's not very encouraging. It's not when the, when the holy people become strong finally, then will be the end. No, it's when the holy people are actually crushed, then the end will come. That's shocking. When will this be then? When is the end? And this is a very important question, I think, for us all to reckon with. When is the end? And most of us look down and we say, well, okay, so this is the great tribulation. I put air quotes around that because many in church history have looked for this period of the great tribulation. We all kind of think we're in it. Talk to your friends. You have probably said it. If not, you have heard it. People say, this must be the end. And when you see the news, oh my goodness, this must be the end. We've got to be getting closer to the end. You, know, you hear things like this because every age looks at the suffering of its own age and says, wow, this is really bad. But what's being spoken about here in the end, ultimately, well, let's ask, when is the power of the holy people 
crushed. When is the power of the holy people shattered? When is the power of the holy people, if you will, at its lowest? And I'll bet, and we can talk more about this in Sunday school, we could find different periods in history that we might want to argue for that. But can we not see that when Messiah comes, when the King of Kings representing the holy people comes and everybody says, oh, good, he's here. The king, if in fact he is the king, he is going to deliver us. And then when the king comes and they, they admit he is the king, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, it's going to be so great. When you sit on your throne, can we sit on your right hand and left hand? I mean, they're starting to get their juices are flowing here. This is going to be exciting because the king is here. Finally, the end. Finally, it's victory. And when the king of kings comes, he is utterly crushed. He is beaten with whips. He is spit upon. And the king, our hope, our great hope that we've been waiting for, if in fact he is Messiah, is crucified, dead, and buried. Is this not the shattering of the power of the holy people of God? Is this not the lowest point you could ever reach when the King of Kings comes and is crucified, dead, and buried? Indeed, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ marks the beginning of the end. This is the greatest tribulation the world has ever known. Again, the, we, and you know I say this every time we come to Good Friday. Good Friday is both the best Friday and the worst Friday in the history of the world. It is the darkest day in the history of the world. It is when all of time has reached its fullness. Remember Paul said this, and we use this for Advent and, and, and for Christmas, and well we should, but Jesus Christ comes in the fullness of time. This is the end. If you have eyes to see it. Jesus Christ brings about in his own person the shattering of the holy people of God. And as such, he is worthy to take the scroll and to loose its seals and to accomplish his purposes now to the ending of the world. And you might have thought that that's the end then. The holy people are shattered. He looses the scroll and it's over and we all go into eternal glory. That these things that are described here begin to take place where the dead are raised unto eternal glory. And yes, it will be. But what is not revealed in Daniel, but does get revealed in the book of Revelation, is that between the beginning of the end and the end of the end is a delay, is time. And during that time shall be, as he says here, the increase of knowledge. Shall be those who turn many to righteousness. It shall be that time in which the church now goes forth to accomplish the purposes of her king. To live out in the body of Christ what is true of Christ. And to bring the bleeding sacrifice, the love of God to a God-forsaken world. And that's the story of the book of Revelation. Hey, John, 
The end has come. But until the end of the end, you are called to be faithful. And in this time, it will be a time of tribulation for the church, for the holy people of God. Jesus Christ himself will say to his disciples, now pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Not because Jesus was just a model and now you have to go save yourself. No, he has saved you. But now you are to bring that salvation to the world. You must pick up your cross. You must deny yourself. You must lose your life if you are to save it. We are to deny ourselves now and be the witnesses for Christ that Christ was for the world. That is the call of his church in this time. And so when will these things be? After tribulation. And again, I encourage you, go read uh, Revelation 11. John, in chapter 10, John gets the scroll. He now eats the scroll. What does the opening of the scroll mean for us? Well, eat it and see. Mm, It's so sweet. Lord, you're going to accomplish your purposes. You win. Yay! And yes, we should celebrate that. Ooh, but it's bitter in my stomach because now I need to suffer. Now go, prophesy to many people, tribes, tongues, and nations. Chapter 11, the church will suffer. Chapter 12, the dragon comes after the woman. He can't get the woman, so he goes after her offspring, the church. Chapter 13, the beast comes up out of the sea, and an authority is given to him to crush the people of God. In chapter 11, 12, 13, I mean, then 14, we start to get the harlot who comes and woos. I mean, this is the age that we live in. And Daniel's vision, though it's murky and it's hard to understand, we now have eyes because we stand on this side of Christ to see. I like how one preacher said, in the Old Testament, Old Testament lenses like, you know, now shamefully I have to wear glasses. It is what it is. You know, I've just accepted it now after all these years. I don't even think about it anymore. Although for the Thanksgiving picture, Christina told me to take off my glasses. So that's embarrassing. All right. So, so you know, even she wants them off. But I'm so used to them now. But there's nothing worse. Now, I got another pair around here. They're in there. And I, sometimes for distance now, I have to throw those on. So I'm like shifting glasses. It's terrible. I know. I should get progressives. That's a whole nother story. But, but, but if I get the wrong ones on, right? If I get the wrong ones on, it's blurry. And one preacher I like said, in the Old Covenant, it's like they could see, but they were looking through blurry glasses, right? But in Christ... We in the New Covenant, and this is nothing about us, we're better than them. It's just we've been given the right glass. We've been given Jesus. And with Jesus, we're able to put on our glasses. It's like, wow, I can see the story clearly. Okay, maybe Daniel had to look through smudgy glasses and couldn't see how this all gets fulfilled, but that's not true for you and I. We stand here in Christ with glasses where we, oh, I see. I see, Lord, what you're doing. I see where this story is going. I see what my calling is here. We have no excuse. We are called in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, knowing that victory is ours for sure. The end has come. But the end of the end has not come. That in the middle of the end, you and I are called to be faithful in the midst of our tribulation. It's only three and a half years. You'll endure it. Stay faithful until the end, whatever that tribulation looks like for you. Well, we get one more question. Although I heard 
Daniel says in verse 8, I did not understand. Of course he didn't. He's looking through smudgy glasses. He can't, he can't make out what all these figures are and what these characters are. Although I heard I did not understand. My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. Daniel, again, it's not for you. You have done your job. You have been faithful. These words are for the end of time. And hence, when Christ comes, beloved, it is the end of time. It's the beginning of the end. The end has come. Literally, the dead have been raised in Christ, right? Jesus literally has been raised and judged acceptable by the Father and has been seated at the right hand of the Father and hence rules all things. That is the end of the story, and it has already happened. And now that end is just working itself out through time. And so what does it mean for us? In verse 12, here's what it means, and I leave you with this. Here, and this, these are the last words that are given to Daniel, but Daniel has been faithful through Daniel to us. Blessed is he who waits. Blessed is he who waits until the end. I told you that when the seals are loosed on the scroll, seal one, two, three, and four, the four horsemen. Seal five, when he opens seal five, he gets a vision, John gets a vision of the martyrs under the altar. Now, now again, the martyrs haven't really happened yet. The New Testament martyrs, there's not too many. Now, Stephen was a martyr. He had already died by time John writes this, but there are going to be many more martyrs shortly after John, right? And so it is the fifth seal, he gets a vision of the martyrs under the altar in the temple of God, and they are crying to the Lord in heaven. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you set things right? Like, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? And you know the answer. The Lord says to him, wait a little longer. He gives them white robes. He clothes them in his righteousness. But he says to them, wait a little longer until the full number of your brothers who must die as you have join you. That is, I have work to do through the suffering of my church and you're going to have to endure patiently until that full number come in. And through them, that word is to us. Remember, this is a, an opening of the seal so that John can see it, so that the seven churches can see it, so that you and I can see it and hear it. And what is the word to us in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the fulfillment of this scroll that Daniel wished he could see the fulfillment of, and you and I are living in the middle of it? What is the word to us? Wait. Wait faithfully. Endure patiently. Right? Know the story you're living in. Eat the scroll. Don't just look at it. Don't just read it. Eat it. Take it into you. Let it be your nourishment that strengthens you, even though there's going to be things about that turn your stomach. You don't know how to understand them all, and they're difficult. Picking up your cross and dying to self is hard. But eat it. And live it. When you walk out of these doors and walk into this world, know the scene you're walking into. Know the story that you're part of. Know the tribulation you're called to endure and know the victory that is yours for certain. The day will come when you will be drawn out of that clay and deemed worthy because of the righteousness of Christ and enter into your eternal glory. Knowing that, 
use your life wisely. Knowing that, suffer faithfully. You don't have to grasp and cling. It's funny, just yesterday, Abby said, we're sitting around the table and she was joking around with a friend that was over. And she said, well, you only live once. And I said, Abigail. I said, Abigail, is that true? What do you mean you only live once? People say that because they, they think, well, you only go one time around the merry-go-round, so you might as well get everything you can while you're doing it, right? She was, she was eating something and somebody critiqued well, you only live once. I said, you, do, you most certainly do not. That's not true for us as Christians. And then this is what happens when your dad's a pastor, okay? You, 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 you say little throwaway lines and your dad corrects you and gives you a whole sermon, okay? But that's what I do. <laughs> I said, Abby, that is not true. And as such... As Christians, we don't have to grasp for the little things. We don't have to get it because, after all, this is your only chance to get it. We have all eternity. And therefore, we can suffer. We can endure. I don't have to flee from that here and get the only enjoyment I can because I only live once. I will live for all eternity. Let that story be the lenses through which you view your life and through which you act obediently in the week to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scroll that was given to Daniel, though sealed but unsealed by our Lord Jesus Christ, that victorious champion who stands upon sea and land, the territory of the beasts and reigns over them, who guides us and is with us in our tribulation, for he is the faithful witness who suffered with us and for us. Father, help us to know the story that we are part of. Help us to eat the scroll that we might live obediently in this time of tribulation. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Keep us faithful, we pray, until Jesus comes. For we pray this in his name. Amen.